podcast this week. What's that sound? That is the sound of inevitability. That is the sound of an interview with Riz Ahmed and Darius Martyr, star and director of the wonderful Sound of Metal. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that hasn't had time to write this bit because of reasons. So we'll be inserting something amusing just about here. Um, uh, think you, Chris, think. Um, uh, 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 something amusing. Ha ha, that certainly was amusing, Chris. <laughs> oh. oh, you've really made me laugh there. Oh, I, how do I come up with this stuff how off do the you cuff, do guys? It? Just amazing. It is amazing. I amaze myself on a daily basis. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by just two colleagues of such lethal cunning, but look at them. Look at them. They are resplendent. Walk around them. First up, as ever, it is our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. Hello, Helen O'Hara. How are you? I am good. I've been having a productive day. I've, you know... What have refilled, you done? I've refilled my my uh, fountain pen. You know, I booked in my car for a service. You know, I've, I've done things. Yeah, amazing stuff. Well done, well done, Helen so O'Hara. And crawling back to the fold, apologetic after shunning us last week for. Let me just look this up. The Pillet TV pod. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It is, of course, our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. <laughs> What do you have to save yourself, Jimbo, after missing last week's show in favour of Pilot? What I'm do you have sorry. to save yourself, Jimbo? I'm sorry. I just, I just, you know, with the with the the British Podcast Awards coming up, I had to back the winning horse, and clear oh. it is clear that Pilot is going to sweep the board at the awards. <laughs> the oh so I, it's going to sweep the one entry that it went in for, and <laughs> I just felt that I had to, I had to be there if for that. Either of our shows are nominated, <laughs> I will be astonished. I put an entry in. That involved you <laughs> saying the C word about 25 times in a single minute. And, I, and as I was putting it through, I was like, is this awards worthy? I like I'm to not think so. sure it is. Yeah. I like to think so. Let's um, see what happens. Like Helen, though, I've been doing things. In fact, I have done things you people wouldn't believe because at lunchtime today, instead of having lunch, I decided that I would drive to my local Sainsbury's and see if I could pick up bargain cut price Easter eggs. Because I figured, I figured they'd be like a pound each and I could load up the trolley. Nothing, right? Nothing. Empty shelves? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. What Nothing. happened? How? What? What yeah. the fuck? Easter there were 100,000 of them in yeah. there. That's your window now. Yeah. Easter Monday is it. <gasps> Am I too late? No, is that what not, it was? Not even that. Not even that. They no, were gone by Easter Sunday this what year. because the that, that, This is what I usually do. Yeah. I, I get up on Easter Monday and I'm like Homer in that episode of The Simpsons <laughs> where he has the dream sequence and he's running through the land of chocolate and, and everything. And the joke, of, of course, is that everything is made of chocolate and he goes up to a chocolate shop and it says, half-priced chocolate. <laughs> he's so excited by that, even though everything is chocolate. Um, that's basically me on Easter Monday. But for some reason this year, it yeah. felt like there was a run on Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what happened. I barely got out of uh, the shops of Greenwich with my life and about five eggs intact. And that's all I was able to get this year. Five eggs. That's nothing. That's terrible. That's that's terrible. I mean, it's, it's really upset me because my whole week was planned around this. And I thought I was being smart. I thought, Do you know what? I'm going to go out. I'm not going to wait until the weekend. I'm going to wait. Until I'm going to go out on Thursday and I'm going to get them early. And they're was nothing. Not even a fucking cream egg. I mean, honestly, it was an absolute no, cream waste of gone. Gone. It's ridiculous. Mini eggs, gone. Oh, oh forget just, about it. Yeah, it's mini disgusting. eggs. Are... It's yeah. disgusting. But one thing did come up. 
Yeah. yeah. Obviously, I wasn't on the podcast last week, and yet it, I know, apparently, and, and, and it was so much better as a result. <laughs> I'm sure the time was right, but uh, there, uh, there was uh, a number of people approached me on Twitter to mention that both you and I have the same freakish way of eating Easter eggs. You revealed it on Empire, I revealed it on Pilot. We recorded them simultaneously. There was no, you know, coordination here, but we are both refrigerators and subsequent smashers. We're both smashers. Yeah, egg smashers, not flag smashers. No, egg not smashers. flag smashers. Yeah. I'm an egg smasher. I love it. And yeah, I, I have one left. I have a big old crispy M&M's egg. And last night I smashed my um, orange Smarties egg. See, both of those are shit eggs. Well, like, why? They're not shit eggs because the orange Smarties egg, I didn't realize this, Jimbo, is the chocolate is orange. I didn't realize that. I knew that you got two packs of orange Smarties, which are the best Smarties. I mean, that's just unequivocal. I will not accept debate about this. Um and you also get a huge big egg that is made of orange chocolate, which again is the best chocolate. So it's all good. No, but no, no, no. You would have loved to smash. You would have loved to smash because I did the thing. I raised it high above yes. my workbench. And you dropped I it. I dropped it yes. down. It smashed. Here's it's the best smash I've ever done in my entire <laughs> life. I wish I'd been filming this because one half of the egg crumbled, Jimbo. And the other right? half perfectly intact. The other half remained intact, yes. and the one half crumbled and was contained within the shell of it's, the other half. It's the dream. I've never done that before. It's the dream. What is wrong with you people? Oh, it's amazing stuff. <laughs> that said, orange chocolate is the devil's excrement. Anyone who doesn't have a Cadbury's egg, there's something fucking wrong with them. Like, genuinely. Hey, there's a middle ground here. Orange chocolate <laughs> is good, but it's no Cadbury's egg. Like, a Cadbury's egg is where the egg is at. I mean, and I, I you know me, I like my posh chocolate. I'm not like you. I like my posh <laughs> chocolate. I will have a Hotel Chocolat extra thick egg. Thanks very oh, much. Oh, I know. Oh, couldn't make me oh, eat it. Oh, no, it's so good. Yeah, they come in different flavours as well. You get the two halves are different flavours. Yes, but they're all variants of arse flavouring, and no, that's not, not really what I look for in chocolate. Anyway, my point being, you can like orange chocolate and also Cadbury's. And also I other understand. things. I, don't I feel like Helen. the phrase "there's a middle ground here" could be applied to everything that Jimbo says. <laughs> there always what, is. Okay. <laughs> what is this compromise of which you speak? I don't understand. <laughs> you mean I don't have to take an extreme position on everything? Yes, only what, a Sith deals that? in absolutes. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, anyway, this is the Empire Film Podcast. I don't like that name, but that's the name that was given to us uh, way back in the day. Who decided that, by well, the we way? the is Empire just Broom a- Podcast would be a little bit misleading. Well, sometimes I do wonder if we're going to get around <laughs> to brooms eventually. Uh, but anyway, anyway, anywho, let's talk about fucking films, shall we, rather than eggs. Let us get into this week's listener question, because I have to say, folks, and this is entirely my fault and partly Jimbo's fault, <laughs> I had a hard in, I uh, something, I'm not going to get into it, what it was, but I, I missed, I'm basically running half an hour late. Jimbo has to go, do you want to tell people where you're going? Can we say you're going to the dentist? I am going to the dentist. Too many eggs? I'm going to the dentist so that they can <laughs> remove parts of crunchy egg from parts of my teeth I didn't know existed. Uh, <laughs> I think that's what's happening. Yeah, that sounds about right. Anywho, you've got a hard out. I had a hard in. Therefore, this week's show is going to be a bit shorter than usual. So just the two and a half hours then? Yeah, just a two and a half hour record. Uh, There was much rejoicing in the streets of the nation and especially in the little squadcast windows here because I'm about to announce that this week's three-fact structure has been postponed. Hallelujah! And unlike previous weeks, I'm not then going to go, well, just tell me your facts anyway, and then we're going to spend 20 minutes talking about it. What I am going to do is going to move straight on to the listener question. So this week's listener question, I've had it bookmarked for a while. It comes from King of the Moles. 
That's nice. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder if this person is an actual, literal king of the moles. And he or she, but I'm going to guess he because of the king of the moles thing, says, we were watching the Harry Potter films with our nine-year-old daughter. Just watched Prisoner of Azkaban and she wasn't scared of the Dementors. She said they looked like they need a hug. What Aww. other TV slash movie, movie, what other movie, none that TV nonsense here, uh, what other movie monsters just need a hug? Oh, so, you know, in the interest of the pandemic and, you know, everyone needing a hug right now, <laughs> because I think we all do. We're so close to maybe being out of lockdown. And I think hugs would be nice. But what other monsters need a hug? And also, do you think a hug would work with a Dementor? I don't think you'd even get close enough to get a hug before they suck your soul out. Yeah, wouldn't they be sucking your soul out while you're trying to hug them? I, I feel I, I feel like that's a really fraught tactic. Yeah, in fairness, yeah. I have dated people like that. Uh, no, I think uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't hug a Dementor. I really wouldn't. Or a Ringwraith, for that matter. They've got Also, Ringwraiths have got pointy bits. Hug one of those, you'd never play the guitar again. No, this is true. Thanos needs a hug, I'm saying. No, he doesn't. On account of being much maligned. Oh. No, he isn't. <laughs> I, I, I'm coming very, very close to banning you from ever saying that word again. Yes, well, let's hug. do that. I just use it as your sort of go-to yeah. comedy answer. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was not a joke. I was 100% serious. The man had his hand cut off, Chris. He brought whales to the Hudson and they cut off his hand. He needs a hug. This is true, actually. He, he was hurting. He That's was right. hurting real bad, mm. real bad. And all he needed was a hug. Mm. Bet Ebony Maw tried to hug him. Oh, good Lord. Ebony <laughs> Maw would... Nobody else should. Who but, else? Would you hug Freddy well, Krueger? No. No. The, 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 with those hands? Absolutely not. No. no. Uh, Frankenstein's monster is the correct answer. That's like he, He'd he hug genuinely, you to death. No, but he genuinely needs a hug and he wouldn't necessarily hug you to death if you got him in the right mood. But, but he, you know, he wouldn't would he, he accidentally wouldn't. hug you to death. Doesn't he have form in this area? He yeah. might a little bit have done that sometimes to some people, <laughs> but usually when he was angry and didn't know how to deal with it. You'd use the Winter Soldier defense, right, and get him off because apparently he wasn't in control of his own actions or it's something like that. It's that kind of a hug. <laughs> oh my God. It's a very, very special hug. Wow. <laughs> my word. That the Frankenstein's monster would really appreciate. Um, do you th I don't think he'd be alive in that certain part of his body anyway. Electricity can no do a lot comment. of wonderful things. <laughs> no comment whatsoever. No wish to discuss that further. So you, see, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't hug a Kruger? No, absolutely not. Would you hug a, would you hug a mummy? Who's mummy? <laughs> the alien queen the alien queen would no, you hug an alien queen well, she could hug, hug you with four arms so that'd be a pretty good hug like the Beatles eight arms to hold you which was the original title of help did you know that no I'm, and that's no. this week's three fact structure there you go. <laughs> I mean it's, it's not really a film fact though is it but um, oh excuse me help was a movie yeah okay um, I don't know that uh, hugging an alien would be a good hug, even with the number of arms, because they're like they're not very huggable creatures. Like if Baymax really? is one end of the hug spectrum, huh. I would submit to you that the alien is at the other. So incorrect, Helen. They literally start their life hugging you. I mean, they, faces. They, but they not hug in a faces. comfortable, comforting way. 
This is the kind of hug we're talking about, right? John Hurt looks so peaceful. It looks so serene. What they do is they hug your face, really just like like lots of hugging birds, just a nice, warm, smooth little hug. And then what they do is they basically then, yes, they force something down your throat and anaesthetize you so that you don't feel any pain. And then obviously then a few hours later or minutes, depending on which (laughs) bullshit film you're watching, um, that something will erupt from your chest. But in in its own way, isn't that also... A hug? No. 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 But well done for mentioning lots of hugging bear because he actually is a villain who could be helped by a hug. That that would be the case. Anywho, here's an answer that is genuinely true. Darth Vader. <gasps> Darth Vader. Darth Vader. He needs a hug. Why? What's he done? He's <laughs> lost, you know, he lost his missus and he lost his legs. I mean, he, he lost killed his, his missus. Let's not fuck about. No, he didn't. He didn't he, kill it, his well, missus. He didn't. I he mean, did. He did. She died of a broken heart, Helen. Because of, because of lack of hugs. <laughs> if Perhaps. There you go. Padme a little bit more. Where is Padme? I um, want to hug her. No. Is she the yeah. handle now? I mean, it's like, this? dude, the last time you saw her, you were force choking her. Let's not, you know, romanticize your relationship with her. Yeah, look, I'm not saying he's been blameless, but I am saying that a hug might have helped. That's all. I mean, the boy hated sand. He had issues, a lot of issues. He probably needed to work them through. Mm. So we're saying sort of a good good course of CBT therapy, and oh, that is that's a. Tautology. Uh, a good course of CBT and then perhaps a hug at the end. So who would have hugged him? Yeah. Who, who are you proposing hugging him? Oh, well, Chewy, clearly. Clearly Chewy. Chewy. I mean, anyone's giving out hugs, it's Chewy. Oh, yeah, my God. would be a shit hugger. He'd be able to hug, hug slash hump your leg. That's all he could really do. His <laughs> little arms. There's no way you get could a hug out of him. Get off my leg, you little shit. You're just trying to... <laughs> like a little dog. Going, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, Ewoks, Ewok. again, good, good mm-hmm. huggers, I'm saying. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Yeah. Mm. Although, as long as they've been fed and you're not going to be in line for dinner. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be that would be less good. So you think huggy? You think that there's something in the redemptive power of a hug that a hug can can put a, a bad guy or a monster? Because we're basically talking about bad guys here at the moment. We're not talking about monsters. You couldn't hug, for example, a kraken. You couldn't hug. Uh, you couldn't hug a sarlacc. But you're saying that, like a Hannibal Lecter, for example, that all he needs is a hug, like a Doctor No, like a Blofeld. All that's yeah. missing from their lives was a big old hug. Wasn't this literally the story with Doctor Evil? Doctor yeah. Evil. You know, that he really just needed a hug. So, you know, there are monsters that can be defeated that way. But I think I think you really want to be trying it with with the misunderstood mon- like King Kong. King Kong needs a hug. But who's gonna hug King Kong? Look, Godzilla. I mean Clearly. <laughs> Godzilla hugs Kong. That's the uh, sequel. <laughs> yeah. It was an unexpected oh finale, but you know. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be so good. Hug it out, guys. Hug it out. What are the great hugs in movie cinema? In movie cinema? <laughs> in movie cinema. In I do love the movie cinema. cinema. <laughs> uh, don't worry, I'm going to insert something later on and they won't even know. <laughs> totally seamless. What are the great hugs in movie cinema history? Ooh. Ooh. Let's, let's, let's turn it on its head. Okay, it's obviously Stephen Bucky in Wakanda. That's that's one. That's the Is that's it? my go-to gift for hugging. Is it? I, why do I get the sense that if you had a VHS of that, the lines would be on the screen? <laughs> I don't know what you mean. It's a gif. It's a gift of a gif. It's the gif that keeps on gifing. Of course um, it is. What are the great big hugs? Um, Han and Chewie. That's a great yes. hug, isn't it? Oh, yes. yeah. Great. So good. Yes. In Jedi. Uh, actually, no. In I would say in, in yeah, in Jedi, when they're yeah. reunited in the dungeon. I in the dungeon, it, yeah. Don't they hug as well in Empire whenever Han's been tortured and he gets put mm. back into the, the cell? 
later on, you know, that whole thing. They didn't yes. ask me anything. Yeah. Yes. Doesn't Chewie hug him then? Yeah, Chewie's he does, just a, yeah. just a, an inveterate hugger. He he's loves a, it. Oh, he is. Isn't and as great? someone who has had a Chewie hug, I can. They do oh, live up to. Uh, oh, they do. So they do jealous. live up to the hype. <laughs> what, what what was it like? What were his warm, thick, hairy arms like? I mean, oh, he God. smelled of wet dog. But other than that, he's quite. You know, he's quite uh, fluffy and 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 you know. <laughs> In enveloping, I would say, is the word I would use to describe it. <laughs> I mean, Baymax is the other great hugger in, in yeah. cinema, actually, genuinely. I know I mentioned him before, but, you know, that, that's his whole programming is to, to make people feel better with hugs. La, 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 la. It's wild there's only been one of those movies so far. It is, well, there is yeah. a, a really good TV show I do recommend. It's on Disney+. Plus. What's it but called? Yes. Big Hero 6. Really? Well, I did not know that. With that. I did not know that. Uh, I really like the hug in Goodwill Hunting. Oh, it's not my your God. fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not Too your soon. fault. It's not your fault. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault. It's not your so fault. <laughs> Are you just waiting until we say something and you're going to say? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're right. That's good. It's not your fault. Okay. Damn it. I mean, I feel like it. Okay. Buddy the elf gave good hug, as I recall. Yes. To raccoons or, you know, (laughs) anything. Chewy hugging Leia in the cockpit of the Falcon comes out as a good hug. Uh, There's a gif of it here on repeat. It looks like a pretty decent one. What about, what about (sighs) Michael and Fredo? Godfather Part (laughs) 2. Different type of hug. You broke my heart. (laughs) Yeah. The kiss of condemnation as well. Oh, my word. And what about Frodo? From Fredo to Frodo. Frodo must be hugging. Oh, yeah. Frodo and Sam. Yeah, that's a good one. Are they always hugging? They must be always hugging, right? Always they're hugging. Little hobbits. Every day they're hugging. Yeah. Lots of hugging. <laughs> Lots of hugging hobbits. Um, they've got to be doing that. What about Tony and Peter? I really like that hug. Forget about oh. Steve and Bucky. Tony and Peter on the battlefield. I refuse to forget about Steve and Bucky. <laughs> the battlefield of Avengers Endgame. When, you know, Peter's doing his whole spiel, having Peter Parker, by the way, not Peter mm. Quill. Tony Stark would never hug Peter Quill, not after what he did. But uh, Peter Parker, and there's that moment where Peter's just banging on, you know, Doctor Strange was doing the little swirly thing, and Tony just silently hugs him because he mm. can't believe that his kid is back in his life again. Oh. <laughs> it's not your fault. What are we defining as a hug? Is it like a full body hug? Can it be a partial body hug? Like, are we saying that, Dylan, does that count as a hug? No, that's not a hug. Of course it's not this a hug. They're, hug. They like they're embracing. Hands. There's an embrace there. It's just a, you know, arm embrace, but still. That's not an embrace. That's, you a, that's son of a bitch. arm wrestling. It's more of a wrestle, yeah. Possibly a wrestle. Yeah, that's a big old wrestle. Uh, what about from here to eternity when Deborah Carr and uh, Burt Lancaster are doing a very special hug on, I mean, on the I beach? Wouldn't, I wouldn't call that a hug. I feel like <laughs> that's, that is an embrace. Yeah. Yeah, that's I would okay. say when there's penetration, it's no longer a hug. There's no <laughs> penetration in From Here to Eternity. John Connor hugging the Terminator at the end of Terminator 2. That's a good hug. Oh, that's oh. a good hug. That is a good hug. You must lower me into this deal. I love that we've turned this completely into... <laughs> we've gone from hugging monsters to the redemptive and wonderful transformative power of a hug. A hug can make everything right again. Mm. Boo. And Sully at the end of Monster Sync. Oh my God! Yes, I think I think there's a hug at the end of the Notebook. 
when her memory comes back. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> oh my that's god, Helen. As well. <laughs> I'm just saying. I've never seen the Notebook. Really? I'm not going to now. Oh yes, yeah, I'm sure that was the thing that was holding you back. <laughs> <laughs> There's tons and tons and tons of hugs, but I think the best hug in movie cinema history has to be, without a shadow of a doubt, and Helen, I think you'll agree with me in this one, Hug Jackman. (laughs) He's a huge hugger. Hug H. Jackman. That guy is just, whether it's in X-Men or his true masterpiece, Caden Leopold, he's just a hug in human form. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, sure. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yes. All right. Well, that silence means that uh, we have reached the end of the listener question section. Hope we answered some of your question <laughs> at King of the Molds uh, to your satisfaction. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire podcast and get in touch with me on Twitter, uh, wait for a panicked shout out as I did today. Although I had this one banked from a few few weeks ago, we will be answering some of the questions you sent in today in subsequent issues. Or you can slide into my DMs. I'm at Chris Hewitt on the old Twitters. And remember, folks, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's definitely your your fault. fault. It is my fault. Hugging the Kraken would be really tough, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, the the Kraken could hug you. I just feel like it'd be hard to make an impact going the other way. That's true. Do you want to hear a quick impression? No. That's a Kraken! Hey! Uh, That's uh, Frank Carson as Captain Jack Sparrow. Time now to talk about this week's movie news. What has been happening in the world of movie news, folks? Well, it's been a very big week for trailers, uh, for a start. <gasps> this is huge. Um, so going in probably reverse chronological order, Those Who Wish Me Dead, the Angelina Jolie versus Forest Fires and Bad Guys movie Uh-oh. looks pretty fun to me. Yeah, it looks great. This is her back in action hero mode. And yeah. uh, I, I've forgotten how good she is at that sort of stuff and how much I had missed her in a movie like this. So she is a some sort of fire marshal who yeah. happens upon a young man who is running from some professional killers who are after him and for reasons. And who does she trust? Who can she trust? Can, can she trust, she trust John Berthold? Can she trust Nicholas Holt? Can she trust any of the various blokes? I tell you what, Aidan Gillen, no, do not trust him. Do not trust Aidan Gillen. Do not nope, trust nope. Aidan Gillen, which means he'll be the one who is yeah. trustworthy. <laughs> But this is written and directed by Taylor Sheridan. It's adapted from a book. And Taylor Sheridan is, of course, the the writer of the Sicario movies and the director of Wind River and is a real talent, I would mm. say. I'm, I'm pretty much there for anything he puts his name to. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. I think it's going to be good. So then there's also a new Cruella trailer, which uh, gave us a little bit more plot and a bit less style and looked fun. It kind of made the case that Emma Thompson is dreadful and Cruella may have a case against her. So that's fun. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife teaser, which saw... um, Paul Rudd versus tiny little cutesy Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man who are cute. Yeah. Now this got a kick in on Twitter and I wasn't right. entirely won over by it either. So he's he's in a store and he buying ice is cream. buying ice cream. Super because, on board. Yeah. Paul Rudd plus ice cream. Happy days. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're meant to believe that he's a single man? A man who looks like that? Single? I mean, I don't know anything about that. I mean, but, you know. Maybe it's like it's, it's like one of those early noughties Jessica Alba movies. Maybe he's really clumsy and therefore can't get a mm. girlfriend. You know, the you way that that makes sense. Off. 
<gasps> no. That would, that would th- help. Do you think that would make the difference? I think it would make the difference. Huh. Anyway, so then he's, he's, he is in the store and he happens by some stiff puffed marshmallows and then the bag starts moving and he looks at the bag and out pops a little stay puffed marshmallow man who mm. tries to bite his finger and then this feels like much more of an edited clip of what yeah, we're going to see in the film. Yeah, very much is, I think, yeah. And then there's loads of little stay puffed marshmallow men who are running around the store like gremlins and they're trying to cook themselves and toast themselves. And I was wondering about their end game there, not to name another franchise, but mm. I mean, surely they shouldn't want to s'more themselves surely others should be s'moring them and that's how you know maybe we get rid of the little marshmallow man whatever gets you through the night whatever works for you if they want to do that if they want to self-immolate then that's entirely up to them that is their right as a marshmallow as tiny marshmallow people it did make me want it did make me want to sit around a campfire and roast marshmallows i will i will say that it did and also the stay puff marshmallow man and gozer in general that is another monster that needs a great big hug do you think Mm-hmm. I think you, again, struggle to make an impact on there. But, you know, very huggable monster, at least. I just so think the Ghostbusters didn't interrogate the situation enough. Mm. That they didn't. They, they went straight to crossing the streams and they didn't consider hugging. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So you would have hugged the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man or like... The, the the demon dogs or we, like no, who you don't are we hugging hug in this? The demon I guess dog. there's four of them. Like one of them could have hugged Marshmallow. One of them could have hugged each of the dogs. Precisely. You know, right? In Frankman's right. right. defense, he was definitely trying to hug one of the dogs. <laughs> yes, there's there's no question about it. Frankman is a hugger, but just you know, he is slightly shonky, problematic hugger. That's that's all. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but the whole the whole point of Ghostbusters two, the whole thing about Ghostbusters two is about overcoming negative energy. And how do you do that? By by singing and dancing and and hugging and singing, yes, yes, yeah, okay, okay. So I'm just saying, just saying that maybe they could have hugged Stay Puft Marshmallow Man instead of reducing him to atoms. Fair enough, fair enough, yeah. But what do you think of this? Did did, did this make you positive about Ghostbusters Afterlife or or not? I'm I remain uh, hopeful of that film. I'm. I, I hope that it will be fun. It looks like they're going in a slightly more kid friendly direction. Yes. I think the hardcore fanboys who rejected the last one probably hoped. But, I mean, fine. If they want to make a kid's Ghostbusters film, that's not bad. We all grew up on the rail of Ghostbusters and it hasn't hurt any of us, has it? (laughs) So, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be good. All right. Yeah. There was also the Black Widow latest trailer. Um, Yes. My favourite thing in this is not none of the images, it's not any of the new clip snippets of dialogue. We get a tiny bit more from Yelena, uh, Florence Pugh's character. My favourite thing is that they did a sort of Russian choral version of the Avengers theme, which very much amused me and which I'm extremely here for. So, uh, yeah, I remain as excited as I was about that film, to be honest. Well, we shall save our rendition of that for the spoiler specials, I think. I know, right? <laughs> We're just going to have to learn to speak Russian, guys. Get Geolingo on the case. Uh, other language courses are available. Yes, it does feel a little bit like they they've gone with the uh, the the trailer for this. Hey, you guys like the Avengers? Remember Black Widow because this was meant to come out a year ago, and yeah. I do wonder if they feel that maybe it's falling through the cracks a little bit with everybody going nuts about WandaVision, perhaps less so about Falcon and Winter Soldier, getting nuts again about Loki, 
and then focusing on all the other stuff that's that's coming out, mm. whether it's Shang Chi or Eternals or Spider Man, Doctor Strange, all that stuff. And I wonder if they're going Black Widow, maybe falling through the cracks a little bit. Hey, stick the Avengers theme on it, and we'll position it as Avengers eight point three. <laughs> you know, it's like it's an Avengers movie, folks. Look, I'm totally here for that. To be perfectly yeah. honest, yeah, whatever absolutely. works, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Indeed, there was. I haven't mentioned probably the most talked about trailer of the week, uh, which is Space Jam, A New Legacy, <laughs> which, I mean, you know, it's it's a trailer for a Space Jam movie. So LeBron James goes through a mysterious portal and hey, uh, finds... what New co-part owner of Liverpool Football Club, LeBron James. So I will not have any criticism of him or Space Jam to A New Legacy on this podcast. It's literally our job, Chris. I don't know how we deal with that. You're absolutely right. You've called me on it. I'm going to remain impartial. Please talk more about the Space Jam 2, a new legacy trailer. Sure. So so LeBron and his son, who's played by Cedric Joe, are trapped mm. in a digital space by an evil AI who's played by Don mm-hmm. Cheadle. Brilliant. And Fully the only on way to get home is to lead the Looney Tunes gang yes. to victory. Loved in- it. Wow, in in a in a game of of basketball, cried that um, bit. So good, so good. Right, so wow, that's you're really sold on this. And and yes, they're up against mm. very overpowered digital champions, and it ends mm. up for some reason with like all of the WB characters mm-hmm. who ever were mm-hmm. appearing to watch visionary. the game. Groundbreaking, really? groundbreaking I mean, in his visionariness. Droogs from A Clockwork Orange are really in a kids' movie now. You see, you could say that's problematic from one point of view, but I see it as LeBron is pushing the the boundaries of cinema and what cinema can do, and what mm-hmm. and, and 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 he's he's kind of forgiving the Droogs and going, yes, they were in that movie and they did some bad shit, but now they're in a in a, in a more kids friendly, better movie that's going to win all the Oscars because LeBron James is brilliant. I mean, you certainly have a take, so I far be it for me to in any way question that take. Yeah. But this is a film that's happening. I think we can all agree the most egregious thing about Space Jam A New Legacy is that if you now go to spacejam.com, you get the Space Jam A New Legacy website and not the oh. 1996 Space Jam website, which has been there for 25 years. Oh, it's like, no. a, like an artifact of the history of the internet. And these mm-hmm. fuckers have replaced it with an all singing, all dancing 2021 version. Did they, not, did they not put it aside? Like genuinely? Funny you should say this, Helen. But if you go to the all singing, all dancing website... This could be my fact. Uh-huh. And then if you... <laughs> no, it can't. You've said it now. <laughs> if you click the Space Jam logo in the very upper hand right of the screen, it will take you to the original Space Jam's new home, which is, space, is wait for it, spacejam.com slash 1996. Uh, and that's they have archived it for posterity. So it does still exist out oh, there. Oh, thank God. I well, highly recommend you go and look at it. Uh, if you do sometimes think, oh, what did the internet look like in 1996? Can I recommend empireonline.com for you? <laughs> Really cracky website. Do do check it out. But what do we think of the? Because you know, all my all my love for new Liverpool co part owner LeBron James aside, a lot of people did look at the trailer and kind of go, "Hey, the Droogs from Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange mm-hmm. are in this movie." And I know it's just a background joke. And the idea is that all the Warner Brothers IP is in there, as so you imagine, all sorts of things that are, you know, mm-hmm. not exactly kid friendly. Sure. Jimmy Cagney, the end of White Heat. He could be in there, right? 
Probably. So lots of people were a little bit perturbed by by the drugs turning up in in what is a kid film. Yeah, and the and the repetition of what Ready Player One did with the Iron Giants, um, yeah. who having having him as a sort of this destructive force running amok. Yeah, apparently, obviously, we haven't seen the film yet, so that no. may not be entirely fair. But uh, I, I, you know, like the the original was was silly and mm-hmm. full of basketball, and this looks like Sorry, it will be Clockwork Orange. Or, no, or <laughs> yes, a Clockwork Orange, famously a great basketball movie. Yeah. The little bit of the old ultra violence and basketball. <laughs> you remember that famous quote? Mm. Yeah. Yes. White drugs can't jump. <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. Yes. So that's yes. a thing. That's a thing. Uh, you say it was the most talked about trailer this week, and I do, do you think? wonder if you did. You said that. Yeah, I, I did, wonder no, if don't Loki you think? might have oh, superseded no, I, it. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so. Yeah. The trailer for the second trailer for Loki came out, and the, this one I'm I was already fully on board. Mm-hmm. And if it's possible to be even more fully on board, the only way I could be even more fully on board Loki after seeing the second trailer, which is really really funny, mm-hmm. and plugs you into the plot a little bit more, which is that Loki, the Loki who was in Avengers Endgame, the Loki who has just tried to take over the Earth in the first Avengers movie now has a Tesseract and it is immediately pulled over by Owen Wilson's time cop uh, and his bunch of time cops. who's like, wow, Loki, no, wow. It's not cool to do that, Loki. And um, and so they basically make him try. They, I wasn't sure about the, the rest of the plot after that, but they basically try and pull him aside for crimes against time. Yeah. If that makes any sense. So I, I love the visual style of this. It's directed by Kate Heron. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks different. It feels experimental and fun in a way that WandaVision did. I love the banter between Tom Hiddleston, who looks like he's having a ball in this role, and Owen Wilson. And it just makes you think, how has the Marvel Cinematic Universe survive without Owen Wilson being really deadpan for know, 23 right? films and two TV series? It just, I mean, I feel like, like I had this what was it, Wonder he was in a couple of years ago and it felt like I hadn't seen him in anything at that point um, for years. And he comes back and you're just like, Owen Wilson's great, man. Like, where has he been all our last few years? You know, mm-hmm. it just, he's hes one of those incredibly likable screen presences and I'm super, super happy to see him in this. So yes. it just looks good all around. It just looks really mm. fun, weird. Mm. I still don't entirely know what's happening in a lot of scenes, which is the way I like it actually mm-hmm. after a trailer. Yeah, having a super good time. Cannot wait. I'm still holding out for kind of Loki plays Sam Beckett in Quantum Leap type format. He is, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it just, it, but you're right. It looks like this has many layers to it and it looks like it's going to be something to unpack. It looks like it's going to have all the things that maybe Falcon and Winter Soldier is lacking, you know, like... So far. So far. So far. So like far. Stakes and direction and Hey, look, all it's, it's all going to come together in the last three episodes. All yes. of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it yes. will. Yes. Hope. Uh, but yeah, this looks like tremendous fun. I, I, I love the, the bit where Owen's character says, oh, you're a big metaphor guy. It makes you sound smart. And you know, just little little things like that. But my favourite gag is the bit where Lucky is put into some sort of bureaucratic nightmare where he is a, a, a man prints out a huge, huge, huge pile oh, of paper yeah. and says, please sign here. This is everything you've ever said in recorded history. And uh, to which Loki replies, this is absurd. And then there's a beautifully timed gag as he prints out another piece of paper with this is absurd written on it and it goes, sign here. Mm -hmm. If it's that clever and that daring and that fun and that Douglas Adams-y, then I'm absolutely here for it. Yeah. Celestial bureaucracy. What, What a laugh. 
what, I'm genuinely, what, like, not, what not a laugh. Kidding. What a giggle. And listen, whilst we're talking about Loki, uh, it behooves me to say that, as if by magic, <laughs> the new issue of Empire is on sale next week. <gasps> and we have revealed today, I believe, the cover of the next issue of Empire is none other than the god of mischief himself. It is Loki. <gasps> it is a Loki cover, but it's not just a Loki cover. It is a Tom Hiddleston cover. What a Loki man. What a low-key cover that is. And um, and he's back, back, back. He's been away from our screens for a couple of years, but he's back, back, back in Loki. And uh, we have a big old Tom Hiddleston piece in the next issue that is well worth your time, folks. So just putting you on notice right now that next next week is when the issue goes on sale. All good and evil and digital news agents. Get yourselves ready. Get your money ready, folks. If you want to buy it online, you could do so by going to greatmagazines.co.uk and there you can buy your very own Loki cover. How exciting. There you go. Right. Plug, plug over. Let's talk about other things. Well, yeah, it's been a it's been a big week at uh, Warner Brothers, even apart from the uh, Space Jam trailer, with uh, a couple of bits of of sad news for films that were in development. Uh, so, Ava DuVernay's New Gods and James Wan's The Trench have both been shelved for the moment mm. um, uh, over there. New Gods, the the news came. So, Ava DuVernay has for several weeks now been getting uh, people going going on at her, frankly, about casting Ray Porter, who played Darkseid in the Snyder Cut, uh, to play the same character in her movie. Um, she was avoiding the topic, of course. Uh, Ray Porter, to his credit, asked the fans to stop harassing her. And of course, it turns out that there was a good reason for her being quiet on the subject, which is that this project has now been shelved, which is a shame. So it could come back, and, and Warner Brothers have stressed that if it does, you know, these will be the people who are involved again. It's nothing against them, but they're not going with those stories. And they are planning, apparently, to have more of these intercollected, interconnected films, which will have... TV spin-off shows from their films going ahead. So we're going to have a John Senna-led spin-off series called Peacemaker from the Suicide Squad. We're going to have a Gotham Police Department show spinning off from The Batman because God knows we know nothing about them. So, um, But these two appear to have fallen by the wayside, which is a shame because they sounded weird and bizarre and very, very different to anything else that we had right now. Yeah. I kind of thought this this was becoming the DCEU's thing that it was it wasn't pursuing the joined up franchise thinking of the MCU that it was very much beginning to plow its own furrow mm. which was it wasn't worried about continuity or a collective it was hey filmmaker do you want to make your weird fucking film that about you know, evil beasties that live in the ocean? Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Or, you know, the Jack Kirby, mad Jack Kirby creations of the new gods. Do you want to do yeah. that, Ava DuVernay? Yes, I do. And I, I I, do wonder if maybe they're beginning to head back in the other direction again. Nothing wrong with that if it re results in built-in films. Yeah. F very, very here for the Suicide Squad and the Batman and Aquaman 2 and all that stuff that's coming up mm -hmm. over the next year and a half or so. But yeah, yeah I thought that they... They would have had the freedom to allow filmmakers to pursue this stuff. Apparently not. So uh, the Batman will be in a alternate universe. That is Earth Two, but uh, the Earth Flash will be Earth Earth Number Two. Oh, not okay. to be confused with the TV show Earth Two from the early nineties, featuring Clancy Brown. <laughs> Thanks, James. 
I mean, that doesn't sell it at all to anyone, I don't think. <laughs> really? I mean, I love Clancy, Clancy. Clancy Brown. Wow. I love Clancy Brown. He's great. but Didn't that, seem enough too, not... though, did you? No, I don't think anyone did, James. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they are, as as you've talked about in the past, Chris, uh, setting up uh, The Flash as their sort of multiverse establishing, clarifying film for this new phase. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hey-ho, so it goes. Onward and upward. Onward and upward. The, this week also saw, um, obviously, a lot of chat about Ray Fisher's revelations about his treatment uh, during uh, Justice League and the the upsetting news that uh, we sh- we could have had uh, Regé Jean Page earlier in, in that he was up for a major role in Krypton and was turned down. So that was sad. Krypton, the um, the Superman slash the, pre- the prequel yeah. type thing. Yeah, the Superman prequel. He was going to play uh, Superman's did that come out? grandfather. It did. Yeah, but you know why nobody watched it? Because Regé Jean Page wasn't in it. <laughs> I mean. Bridgerton worked, you know, so it kind of makes sense. Blimey. Blimey O'Reilly. A couple of last things before we get into the movie reviews. Uh, So it seems that Sly Stallone confirmed this week that he's not Mm going to be in Creed 3. How how does that make you feel? I'm not as invested as you, Chris, so I just want to check, are you okay? Uh, You know what? I'm okay. Okay. Okay, good. I'm okay. At a certain point, this franchise has to learn to cope without Rocky Balboa. Mm -hmm. And I, I also think that he got a really lovely send off in Creed Two. Mm-hmm. Like he could have done it. He could have just become a Jedi ghost and just faded away. You know, it was such a, a nice little send off for him. And part of me does wonder how, you know, Adonis Creed is going to cope with that rock in his life. But it's a nice opportunity to plow some new dramatic ground. Yeah. I would say, especially for yeah, Michael B. Jordan, who's well. going to be directing as well. Yeah, I think you know this gives Jordan a chance to try out on his own and gives him a chance to shine. Like he's really charismatic in that role, mm. um, and I, I'm mm. interested to see what he does without Rocky there to guide him. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by what what Creed three is going to be. I really am. Such good films. It's unexpectedly good films. Like when Creed was announced, yeah. I was a bit meh. I went to see it, thought it a bit meh, and fuck me, but they are really good. Yeah, yeah, really, really, yeah, really, yeah. really good. Love those movies. Love those movies. So a third one. Yes, I'm totally here for that. Anything else has happened? I see that Amazon has snapped up the rights for the Tomorrow War, which is a big old Chris Pratt-led action sci-fi pick that's going to be out later in the summer. But I have to say, you know, I was really, really heartened this week to find an email in my inbox. Um, usually I'm not happy about getting emails. It usually means work. but um, And I guess it means work in this in this case as well. But I got we got an email, a lot of us did, from Universal outlining their mm. return to theatrical strategy mm. for the rest of the year because it does seem that the success of Godzilla versus Kong which opened this week and made around about 300 million dollars at the worldwide box office including a big old chunk of change in the states has given studios the confidence to finally embrace the theatrical experience again and so Universal sent out a, a big list of release dates for all their movies coming up over the next few months including things like obviously No Time to Die and Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho and Kenneth Bernard's Belfast but but also things like Freaky the long-awaited Freaky which is oh going to be God, out yeah. in, in June I recorded an interview for that for that in October I believe it was I, of, I of last it year in October <laughs> Really? Yeah. So there's there's loads of great stuff coming out, and I'm just really, really glad that mm. hopefully, hopefully, we're getting very, very close to being on the other side of this thing. Because bear in mind that as we record, we are 
well, by the time this goes out, we'll be sort of three days away from outdoor cinemas and drive-ins opening, and then mm-hmm. just over a month away from actual indoor cinemas opening. So Monday the 17th is the date. Uh, not all of the... At the have, moment, yeah, at the moment. At the moment, yes, it is obviously a movable feast. But at the moment, it is the 17th, and not all chains have announced that they are opening on the 17th, but I know Cine House, um, Cine House? Cine House, Cine House. we're now calling them. Picture World. Cine World slash Picture House are definitely opening on the 17th. Uh, Odeon have films listed for the 21st, so if they don't open on the 17th, they'll definitely be up by the 21st. So it is looking like we will be going back to cinemas, and I am very excited about it. Mm. Obviously, there'll be a few different chains. I think a lot of chains are going cash-free and contactless, and they're encouraging people to book online line as well for their safety uh masks and social distancing will be in an effect so people don't need to worry about contracting a deadly virus when they're there to watch a film mm-hmm. um and but mm-hmm. that does mean the closure of the pick and mix super spreader bars as well so you know <laughs> i mean i feel like they we'll take cope. it away i i mean strawberry cable is part of my movie process helen but sure oh, my process <laughs> my process my, my process involves eating strawberry cable yes. yes yes we um i just do want to mention a couple of more pieces of casting news first of all that salma hayek has joined the gucci film the house of gucci film that ridley scott's making um mm-hmm. which has an incredible looking cast and if you see the paparazzi shots from the set the fashion the 70s fashion is off fashion. the charts <laughs> she of course joins uh, lady gaga and adam driver um as the uh, central pair there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I also want to mention for anyone who read uh, young adult literature, as it wasn't then called in the 80s, the fact that Benny Safdie is joining Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, um, which is really, really exciting for a number of reasons. First of all, it's being directed and adapted by Kelly Freeman Craig, who made Edge of 17, which was bloody brilliant. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it has a really, really strong cast all around. Abby Ryder Fortson from Ant Man is playing Margaret, with Rachel McAdams as her mum, and then um, Safdie as her dad, and Kathy Bates as her grandmother. And it's all about a young girl basically trying to figure out her way through adolescence, puberty, crushes, periods, boys, all of it. So um, it's it's a it's a really important book for a huge number of generations of women at this point. Judy Bloom mm-hmm. book. Bloody fantastic. So uh, this is exciting. This is good news. Is there a Jack Reacher in it? I'm going to say yes, Chris, because I think you'll really enjoy it. I'm fully on board for Are You There, God? It's me, Reacher. (laughs) Coming to your screens very, very soon. God said nothing. Yes, please. (laughs) God wouldn't stand a chance in that fight. We both know it. Um, Very, very quickly. Very, very quickly. James. Hello. Hello. Starship Picard, season two, John DeLancey, Q, go. Yes. I was very excited to hear that. Although, obviously, Q is an ageless, immortal being, and John DeLancey is like 70 years old or something at this reasons. point. There's reasons. There'll be reasons. It'll be fine. Yes, He'll just be playing I suspect around he will make time. himself look older to make Picard feel better about himself. Exactly. But uh, yeah, it's been a long time. Like, Picard's not coming back now to 2022, so I will have been Picardless for like the better part of two years. That is brutal. Dude, you just got through like decades without Picard. Like you're going to survive. <laughs> but he's back gap. in my life now, and I don't want to give him up. Uh, flawed as that first season was, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. So um, yeah, I'm 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 pretty psyched to see this. And Q coming back is that's that's some good shit. Yeah, that's that. I mean, look, the it, trial it has never to, ends, Helen. And it has to end where it began. You know, in Condor at Farpoint, there's yeah. Q. So we, we uh-huh. need Q here. You know how it's going to end, don't you? Come do we want with Picard wrapping his arms around Q and giving him a big old hug. hug. That's how that's gonna end. Sure. Time now for this week's guests. 
And I'm delighted to say that it is Riz Ahmed, the wonderful British actor Riz Ahmed and Darius Marder, who are the star and director respectively of Sound of Metal, in which Riz plays a heavy metal drummer called Ruben, who very, very quickly and shockingly just loses his hearing and has to struggle with that. This is an incredible film. We'll be talking about Mm -hmm. it in a few minutes in the reviews section. It is an Oscar contender. If you ask me for Riz in particular, it should be an Oscar winner, but uh, we shall see see what happens. But I caught up with him a couple of months ago now and chatted to him about the film and everything involved with it. Does that mean I can't remember what we talked about? You're absolutely damn right. But it was a fun interview. Anyway, do please enjoy Riz Ahmed and Darius Martyr. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star and the director of Sound of Metal, Riz Ahmed and Darius Marder. How are you both? Good, hey. thank you. Nice to meet you, Chris. Oh, nice to meet you, uh, you know, across the, uh, the electronic pond, so to speak. Uh, whereabouts are you, are you guys at the moment? Uh, obviously, you're not together. It's more sad for me than it is for Riz that we're not together. <laughs> um, yeah, is. we were together and decided I had to just get some space. So I'm in well, You don't have to say it like that. <laughs> Well, Uh, uh, I'm here to speak truth. Yeah. He's all the way across the country from me. I'm on the East Coast. And every time I go to L.A., and this did literally just happen. I said, I'm coming to L.A. You're like, I'm leaving. So... (laughs) It's pretty much you, you. You catch what what's happening here, Chris. I, I I get it. I get it. It was a it was a fun working experience. But Riz, you've no desire to actually be in the same room as Darius. So that that seems to be fairly clear. Boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. The, you guys were in Toronto with this movie back in September 2019, if you can remember that far back, because I know that last year alone seemed like 25 years in one. And you shot this in what 2018? Yeah. So is this is this an experience? I mean, obviously, this is one of those experiences where we're now almost two, two and a half years down the line after you shot the movie. But it seems to me, Darius, you say in the production notes that Riz might describe this as life changing, this experience of, of making this movie. So is this a film that has stayed with you both through that through that hiatus, so to speak? Certainly has with me. It certainly has with me. And somehow this film changed everything for me in not in superficial ways like uh, it, the actual making of it seemed to mirror some kind of real seismic shift in my whole life and it um it really has uh it has been a process of tremendous uh transformation actually mm-hmm. artistically or uh, well yeah artistically and i think the I, you know it's interesting it's an interesting experience to to usher something into existence over such a long period of time with such a high level of intensity and intentionality. And in that process, kind of start to understand what's deepest and most exciting and most interesting about this project and why you're so hungry for it and why you want it so much. And then to realize that when you start to ask those questions, you actually have to start to live those questions. You, you, you know, and that's what I found with this process is that it made me have to really identify why that, what, why Ruben, why, why is this so strong? What, what is, what is at play here in this film on a spiritual level, on a, on an emotional and personal level? If I'm going there, I got to go there. You know, when you ask someone like Riz to go through a process, like he just went through for this film, Mm. you best be willing to go through it yourself. Otherwise that's not really a trusting experience you know so it that's what it's been for me it's been about it's been a deep emotional dive for me as well and, and riz for, for yourself you 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 were agreeing with with darius when he said 
you know, it was life-changing. Yeah, for sure. In, in many, many different ways. I mean, just the intensity, I think, uh, as Darius mentioned, and the intentionality, you know, the intention was to make this as real as possible, as authentic as possible. And the intensity of kind of preparing for it um, every day for seven months. And then, you know, this very kind of potent and kind of concise shooting window that we had and then also shooting it chronologically within that window meant that we were kind of living this story. You know, mm. Starius said, when you tell a story like this, or, or, you know, any kind of really great story you get to tell it ends up kind of being reflected in your life. The lesson that character learns is the lesson that you have to learn. And it, yeah, I guess we kind of ended up living pretty much in, in character, uh, you know, a lot of us for, for the better part of a year. And uh, I'm not really breaking that, kind of being, not wanting to break that. And so uh, those experiences stay with you. Mm. Ruben is a really interesting character. Is he a character that, that has stayed with you in, in some way? Is it a character that you were sad to say goodbye to? Yeah, but the yeah. beauty of film is that the film lives, you know, so like in a funny way, Ruben, you know, Ruben lives. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Riz, sorry. Were you sad to say goodbye to Ruben? Well, yeah, I, th- I was going to say in a different way that I don't think you ever do say goodbye to characters that you play and you mean mm. part of them stays with you. As I said, I think that the characters end up teaching you something about yourself. And if that lesson stays with you, then the character stays with you, you know? And I think for me, what, you know, the lesson that Ruben taught me is a lesson that Ruben himself had to learn, which is about the limits of control, the illusion of control, what is lost when you lose control, but also what is gained when you allow yourself to lose control. That's something that Ruben has to confront because, you know, he's someone who tries to micromanage his daily life and his daily existence. Cause if he doesn't have that structure, he will lapse back into addiction so he has his rv which is in this cocoon that he lives in with lou he he has his itinerary mapped out and this is what we're doing and it's all kind of structured in a way to prevent him from having to sit alone with himself it's constantly on the go it's constantly with someone else it's constantly Mm -hmm. externally focused and when he loses control um that very clever plan and way of life is designed kind of forced to the wayside and he's forced to do the stuff that he's been running away from and similarly for me i think you know, filming this and stepping into Rubin was a process of doing a lot of preparation, but then surrendering to the process, giving up control. And I think I learned a lot about what's possible when you do um, give up the desire to control a process. One of the key motifs, I guess, or one of the key uh, themes of the movie is uh, about Rubin's search for stillness. And obviously we're not going to get into spoilers here, uh, so I'm not going to I'm not going to reveal whether or not Ruben finds that stillness. But going back and rewatching the movie, I thought it was interesting because uh, the f- opening shot is of Ruben at the drum kit, and it looks almost as if he's in that moment of stillness already there. But you go back and watch the movie again, and he's not. He's agitated and he's waiting for something to happen, and he's he just can't wait for that moment to kick in. Um, it's a fascinating character to build. Uh, where did where did you start? I mean, this is for both of you, but where did you start in terms of that? Well, I love that you bring up that the different perception of that opening shot. That's really cool because that's that's very much there. You know, the the that it's it is that is the temple for Ruben in the beginning. You know, that is that place of 
of that is that kind of holy place as being on stage behind that kit waiting for for the cue and that kind of erotic charge that can come from that that's that's everything but then you realize that you know as you watch the movie that 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 monster lurking in the movie really isn't deafness at all but is there in that first frame mm. and so i think that's a wonderful observation um that this character you know i was just talking to my brother about it um i mean it's so many years in the making it 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 goes back uh the character of Ruben really goes back about nine years um, in terms of the actual putting it to paper. But what it took to find that character was such a, a wonderful, creative kind of dive. And it's just super personal, ultimately. Um, it, it's very personal to both me and my brother. And we we really, first of all, we just love Ruben. You know, I still get so upset when people say that Ruben's not likable in any way. I just love really? that character. Um, yeah, people do. Just recently, didn't that happen, Riz? Someone said something said something about they didn't. I raised that from my memory immediately. Remember when that happened? Also <laughs> raised that person from my phone book. <laughs> I want their names. I want their names. I want. I want these people's we'll heads. Speak their name. <laughs> Ruben's, Ruben's flawed, but he's so. Yeah. But he's someone that you know. Uh, I really feel deeply and his desire to take care of the world, to take care of everything but himself um, and to really take care of everything, even in spite of himself. Um, and that is a, a character I know in myself. Uh, it's, I think it's a character. It's a fascinating thing about Ruben is how many people along this ride that I worked with had Ruben inside of them. So many people that worked on this movie had Ruben inside of them. And I just, I just found that really powerful as we made this film and certainly, and, and, and it, and it honestly, it took, we wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of development to get rid, to get Ruben and his language and his fascinations and fixations to such an extent that I remember when we were setting up the Airstream and my brother was, we were talking about the gear in the Airstream and that the gear was slightly wrong. My brother was having a complete meltdown. Like that's not Ruben. If he has that gear, if he has that compressor, that's not Ruben. Ruben wouldn't have that. Comp I mean, we are geeking out on Ruben and um, I shouldn't, my next movie should be called geeking out on Ruben. <laughs> um, anyway, Riz, how about you? It's interesting because I think drums are his kind of, his therapy, his catharsis, the place where he can be most expressive and most vulnerable. So if you have that taken away from you, then there is this kind of volcanic eruption inside that doesn't have a place to kind of go. Um, yeah, I think that it's interesting because when you've got a brilliant um, script, which you did with this project, and you've got an amazing director, which is really evident to anyone who sees the film, and every scene is a kind of microcosm of the entire story. And I think that's true of really every scene in this film, but never truer than in that opening sequence, you know, where you kind of, you, you understand that kind of um, need and desperation he has to connect and to find purpose and to find catharsis in, in the safe space of, of, of performance, mm -hmm. um, which is safe because it's, it is a performance. It's not, yeah. it's him, but it's not him. It's a shield. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. It's, it was interesting. It was just like, I think after, you know, doing all that preparation and kind of living in the character for, for the better part of a year, by the time we got to that gig and, you know, Olivia so amazing to work with, we had so many band rehearsals by that time, but, but when we got on stage, a lot of those dynamics, they, 
it just they just found us you know it wasn't a process of oh, let's try it this way now let's try it we'll tweak it this way or that way it was like we're going to start this really intense process and then we're going to surrender to it. And whatever comes out of that is is right. And it did feel right. And it's really interesting as well in the terms of the, uh, I'm going to try and say this word, I always fuck it up, specificity. I did it. There you go. <laughs> I did it. Yeah, I always oh. mess it up also. <laughs> I can't believe I said it the first time. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> I but- always get that word right. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I thought you might. Somehow I thought you might. But it's, it's, uh, it's such a specific character in terms of you know his his look his mannerisms and and Riz, you're coming in you have the seven months of preparation but you have a director here who has had Ruben walking around in his head for the best part of a decade so how did the two of you work in terms of you know, the, the finer details about Ruben the the the, the, the tattoos mm. the the look and his his approach to life did you ever it was just a lot of discussion it was a lot of discussion and again it was about welcoming in things that presented themselves during that journey of preparation and one of the things one of the people that really presented themselves to us as a kind of spirit guide was Sean Powell who's a drummer from the band Surfboard Darius introduced me to him and a lot of his tattoos are Ruben's tattoos and Darius and I would talk about what tattoos mean and where they are and why and how they might have got there and what point of his life and so how faded they would be and you know the the blonde hair I guess was an interesting opportunity for for Ruben to try and remold himself. You know, he's someone who's trying to control his environment, control mm. his life, control how the world sees him and who he is. And so if he can customize his body and his hair and his, you know, even though we see him topless and, you know, shirtless at the start of the movie, in a way he's got the most amount of armor on at that time. And and so, yeah, I guess Ruben is someone who is trying to construct a per- particular version of who he is and then try and cling on to that idea of who he is throughout a lot of the film when we meet him, for sure. And so because Ruben's engaged in that, we we were also engaged in that process, mm. if that makes sense. There was like a nothing about Ruben's life was by accident in a way. Yeah. And so we just we had to have that kind of detailed discussion around all those choices that the character would have made. And Darius, did, did, did Riz do anything that made you see Ruben through fresh eyes? Oh, yeah. I mean... One of the things about about this process is that it's it's very meta on a lot of levels. I mean, I, I this is pretty much where I live as a director, which is to say the energy of my own um, expansiveness and acceptedness is very much a part of of Riz's ability to be accepted and be seen. And so when you give a character to an actor, you're giving that character to that actor. You're not controlling the character through an actor. Um, and when you start to do that, it turns into a shit sandwich. It, it has to be, it has to be a, a mutual trusting process. So that, that means starting, that means trusting in your actor's instincts. That means uh, also working internally you know, on, on myself and, and recognizing those instincts to control. Um, and when that can can actually extinguish life and extinguish impulse. So as much as it is kind of an, a, a, a real ushering, you know, Riz as much as possible into his own impulses, it's also giving away something and allowing for something bigger. You know, I always say in, in filmmaking in general, if it's as small as I am, we're in trouble. You know, <laughs> I want I want it to be so much bigger than me. 
And that's what makes, that's what makes this journey so magical is when it's bigger than me. But I have to ask, I have to ask you both actually at, at some point in this, this preparation process, uh, how scared were you both that Riz would be shit at drumming? <laughs> I was very um, convinced I would be shit at drumming. Um, but Darius actually was just so encouraging. Although privately, he may have also been shitting himself. Uh, I actually only was, shit was, myself was, privately, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I'm working on it, but yeah. uh, no, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because, like, oh, don't that 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 journey of playing the drums was just it was a bane of my life and the obsession of my life for that period of time. And what you start to realize is, with as with anything, any place you put your attention, you put your energy, it becomes a mirror. And so you realize, you know, the way you do anything is the way you do everything, and the issues you may have with playing the drums, the issues you may have with everything, with your relationships, with your life, with the way you approach your work, your family, your, your sleep, your exercise, you don't hit it hard enough. If you hold the sticks too tightly, if you're trying to control too much, if you're holding too much tension, if you're always anticipating and getting ahead of it, if you're always slightly behind, if you're losing focus, it's, it's a tremendous mirror, you know, yeah. um, the, the drums but partly i think because it's so primal so physical it's so in the body and it's um it's ancient you know it's arguably the most ancient kind of non-verbal communication you know that we have so something about it was like learning an instrument but also like intense psychotherapy with my drum teacher guy Likata. Uh, who I refer to as my, my drum teacher and my therapist, in a way. <laughs> it really is that process, though. The, the first time Riz picked up sticks, I was with him and it was with Sean Powell. And man, it's like this guy thinks, I mean, he's, he's, you're, such a, you're such a kind of a savant in general that, you know, I, I, I experienced it as like, you know, the matrix when you, when, when Neo downloads like jujitsu or Kung Fu, you just felt like you could download drumming. Like you held <laughs> the sticks and you were like, I, I, I will be able to do this now. And, and it just doesn't work that way. And it's actually by virtue of the process that became the building blocks of Ruben. I mean, and that, that, that's why I wasn't scared about the drumming because I was very willing for it to be what it was in service of that process. Mm. Cause I, cause I was more excited about the process than the product. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've got to let you go. You guys go now, but uh, I just want to ask one last very, very quick question. Um, I suspect this movie's bound for a, a number of major awards nominations. Um, I don't want to jinx it too much, but um, I suspect your, your sound editing, your sound mixing teams will, certainly be in the mix as well uh pun no unintended pun no pun yeah, intended but, whatsoever but, i stumbled into that one i apologize uh the sound beautiful. in this film is incredible i know darius you talked about it being you know the, the movie's almost sound in three acts and uh, it's extraordinary the way you, you present it and and riz the way that you portrayed ruben's reaction to suddenly being deprived of this thing that uh that, that gives him so much power obviously you could be a musician can you talk very quickly i guess about how you managed to do that on set how, did you try as best mm -hmm. you can to recreate those conditions for riz i'll just quickly say that um one of 
one of the many bold things that Darius did in this process alongside deciding to shoot on film and having this crazy sound design, which he can talk about in, in the post and uh, deciding to shoot chronologically is actually uh, to try and make everything as for real as possible. So you're really going to play the drums. You're really going to do sign language and you're really going to lose your hearing at certain points. So we took these hearing aids, put them into a white noise setting, buried them deep in my ear canal until I couldn't even hear the sound of my own voice. And he would activate that. Uh, on set in real time to throw me off balance and to disorient me at different moments. And we decided that those moments when Ruben is really doesn't like his deafness, he's going to, we're going to use those audio blockers and that noise, that storm in his head is going to be real. And the moments when he realizes deafness is a culture, an opportunity to connect more with himself and others, we're not, we're not going to use them. So that was one thing that we, we used. Yeah. I mean, in general, everything just had the highest stakes we could possibly devise. That was the that was the methodology of the shoot, and we you really had to walk that walk. And all of that is designed to have authentic experience in front of a camera, and um, it it's a it's a very <laughs> harrowing journey. Um, I found it just remarkably joyful. By the time we were shooting, I, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. But it's it's a tightrope, and I had many 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 moments in production when everyone was like, this is nuts. And it was in a way it is nuts, but you know, what's more nuts is to try to control something and think it's going to come out as a beautiful experience. Absolutely. No plan survives contact with the enemy, et cetera, et cetera. Yep, exactly. <laughs> well, well, guys, um, I've got to let you go, but I have to say it's a tremendous, tremendous film and I wish you every success with it. And uh, thanks so much for talking to me. Oh, thanks, Chris. Thank you. And that was Riz Ahmed and Darius Martyr talking about Sound of Metal and I think really even though this week sees release of my favourite film of the year so far we'll get to that in a second because there's really only one place to start and that is with Sound of Metal which is very nearly my favourite film of the year Mm. so far it's an incredible incredible film yeah, it's really astonishing. So um, Riz, as you said, is Ruben, who's a drummer in a punk metal duo with his girlfriend Lou, who's played by Olivia Cook, and and they literally travel around the country in an RV together. They're touring with their music. They're planning to record an album, and they've kind of saved each other from difficult lives. He's a recovering addict. Uh, she engages in some self harm off screen, just for people worried about uh, trigger warnings. It means that when he does start facing this hearing loss, he really faces losing everything. Like every aspect of his life is connected to the music, is connected to what he does. And and so it just gives it even more impact and severity and just presents an even huger challenge for him. So Mm. I, I just was so desperately invested in him throughout this film. I think Ahmed's performance is, he's never been bad in anything I've seen him in, but it is off the charts good in this from the first moments of the film onwards. People have been talking about the technical aspects of this film, the sound design Mm -hmm. to get Mm -hmm. across what it is like to lose your hearing this way. That's astonishing. But really, I think it's, it's the, you know, it's, the people it's dealing with this it's this sort of uh his kind of panic and the way he's kind of trying to suppress it and and deal with it and ignore it as far as possible um it's lose she seems kind of younger she's seems kind of almost fragile at times but it's her you know attempts to get him to find help to get him to face his problems and then it's in joe who's paul racy's character who is unbelievable i you know he's been kind of kicking around for years playing sort of smallish supporting roles i think in in a lot of a lot of his work um 
but this has gotten him a huge amount of attention and it couldn't be more deserved. So he leads a, a community of deaf recovering addicts um, and Ruben gets some help from them. And, and he's just an incredible, incredible character. You know, he is tough and uh, demanding at times and can sometimes f- seem a little bit almost cultish, but there is such kindness and such compassion in what he does and such belief uh, that it sort of, it just works and he feels like an incredibly real character and a real person. So yeah, I I, I mean, I was I was on board for minute one. I, I barely breathed until the end. I think it's phenomenal. Mm. It is. It kind of it all revolves around him. He gives this incredibly soulful performance about kind of swimming against the tide and trying very hard to undo the hand that life has dealt him. And I yeah. guess it, it is about acceptance and you know learning to just deal with the things that happen to you. But it's he plays that inner turmoil and that fight against it so well. And I think you're right. Those scenes he has with Joe, who on the one hand is completely accepting of his deafness and the deaf community, and then a guy who not only has to deal with losing his hearing later in life, but the fact that it, it's not his hearing so much that he's losing, it's his entire existence, which is mm. music, it's his career, it's his passion, it's his love. Um, and I, I, to be fair to this, like, I think the use of sound in this film is absolutely incredible. I think the sound designer is called Nicholas Becker, and he he does an incredible job of putting you in the head of Ruben's yeah. character as he starts to lose his hearing, and then, you know, as... Uh, how he experiences the world in a different way. And as a man who becomes locked in because he can't sign, he can't read lips, like he has a fundamental communication problem. Um, yeah, it's it's an incredible performance. And it's it's really, real, real emotional ride, actually, this film. Mm, is. Really, I found it really, really is. affecting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. For a film that starts as abrasively as it does, which yeah. is with the, the performance of this heavy metal, <laughs> death metal, I don't know how to describe it. It's I mean, to to my Yeah. And the, this performance, and it's just absolutely screeching and mm. screaming at you. For it then to be so delicate and fragile mm. and emotional, but not sentimental in any no, way, shape, not or at form. All. Not at no. all. Uh, beautifully performed, beautifully directed. And uh, Darius Martyr, as you will have no doubt gleaned from the interview, is clearly a director who knows exactly what he's doing. Mm. And uh, that is uh, a, you know, just a such a wonderful thing to see. A uh, very, very safe pair of hands to be in indeed. And I can't wait to see what he does next. And Riz Ahmed is one of those performers, that, you know, he's... Really, really talented, multi-talented, obviously. Um, His performance in The Night Of, which is an HBO miniseries, yeah, one of the yeah. best miniseries ever, is unbelievable. Yeah, he's, he's such a good actor. Four Lions and yeah. Nightcrawler, and but uh, this is, I think, the movie that that should put him over the top. And for mm-hmm. my money, although I haven't seen The Father yet, and I understand Anthony Hopkins is amazing in that, he is very good. For yeah. my money, it's the best performance in the best actor category. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. But, I mean, it's it's a very strong category this it's year, which has not category. always been the case recently. But yeah, they're I I don't know. It's really hard because I just watched this last night, so yeah, I'm still I rewatched it actually. But um, I'm still kind of in it. But um, but yeah, I think I might give it to Riz personally right now. Let's give it to Riz. Let's, let's give just them, do it. Yeah, let's, let's just it's give up it. to us, right? We, we yeah, get to decide this. So. Yeah, this hey. is it. Yeah, they've they've thrown it. Soderbergh is trying so many new things this year with the Oscars, and he has. <laughs> 
Give it over the acting categories to us to decide. So well done. <laughs> Newly minted Oscar winner Riz Ahmed. Uh, Sound of Metal, fantastic film. We gave it four stars. I think we're all, sounds to me that we're all in the five star camp, actually, though. I, I, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I, it's, I, I'd, I'd edge it so. up there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a tremendous, tremendous film, as indeed is Palm Springs, but we're going to get <gasps> to Palm Springs in a second because I want to finish on a high. And I'm not yeah. saying the Chaos Walking isn't finishing on a high, but that's Sandwich, Sound of Metal, and Palm Springs with Doug Lyman's new movie, Chaos Walking. Now, chaos has been the operative <laughs> word with this movie because this movie shot a while ago mm. The, mm. and then there were heavy, heavy, heavy reshoots involved as well, yeah. um, which might indicate that this is going to be an incoherent mess. Is it so Jimbo, and I should also point out, I'm going to refrain, I'm going to recuse myself from reviewing this because this movie involves a Hewitt and I cannot comment on any Hewitt. <laughs> well, luckily he's not as big a bellend as you are. He is in fact a good Hewitt, uh, played by Tom Holland. So yeah, this is the uh, adaptation of Patrick Ness's YA series, or rather the first book, I should say, in the trilogy, mm-hmm. The Knife of Never Letting Go. Um, and it takes place in, the, in a dystopian future where humanity has ruined the Earth go figure, and fucked off to colonise outer space. So in the year, I think it's 2257, we find ourselves... In the ourselves year 2257. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. They, they're on this uh, the planet, the imaginatively named New World. Really pushed the boat out not there. Not Earth uh, 2? No, not Earth 2. Clancy Brown is not in this film. <laughs> Colonists have been living there for generations, and there are two two things you should know about New World. Uh, and firstly, there is an indigenous alien species called the Spattle. That is not a joke. And the second is that your thoughts on this planet are amplified outside your head in a phenomenon known as the noise. So everyone can hear what you're thinking at all times. Now, the noise only affects men, but that's kind of purely academic because in Prentice Town, where we meet Tom Holland's character, Todd Hewitt, no relation, yes. uh, there are no women at Daddy. all. No women. What? Uh, that is until Daisy Ridley's Viola, a traveller from sort of like a second wave of colonists, she crash lands just outside Todd's farm and soon draws the interest of the evil town mayor, played by Matt Mickelson. Yes. But yeah, as you said, this has had a few directors and indeed writers attached over the years, mm. including Charlie Kaufman at one point uh, and Robert Zemeckis to direct. And uh, the reshoots, I think we were in 2019, they spent 15 million, I think, on extensive reshoots. Fede Alvarez stepped in to do it. So there was a lot going on here. It's not had a smooth pass to the screen. Uh, all of that kind of does not augur well for this at all. And this had some brutal reviews in the States. However, this was not the car crash that I thought it would be, and I rather mm. liked it. Yeah, admittedly, it's a YA sci-fi film, so kind of up my alley to begin with. But you are but, the you are the YA MC. Yeah, I am. It's true. Um, YA MC. <laughs> oh god. Um, but you know, like I I liked it. Like I thought the premise was kind of compelling. I thought you know the, the fact they did it visually, like, the thoughts manifest as sounds and images, this kind of miasma of sort of of colours and lights and pictures that appear above above the men's heads as they think. Uh, and there's clever. inherent. Yeah. Yeah, and there's inherent humour in a boy who's literally never clapped eyes on a girl before having his every thought telegraphed. Um, our John Nugent described this as what men want with aliens, which I, which I think is fair. I mean, the aliens don't play any role whatsoever. Like, just no. to be clear, like James keeps mentioning them. Just ignore that. This is where the problem is for me. Like, I thought Holland mm. and Ridley were really, really charming, and I thought the story yeah. kind of has momentum to it. The problems, I thought, were kind of twofold. And partly, I think, uh, the story was very lightly savage, either in the adaptation or in the reshoots, because I don't think it bears as much relation to the book as, no, you know... very much not, no. About, I know you've read the book, so you can tell us in a second, but like, and I think that comes across in the film... 
because we don't even scratch the surface of either the main story or the mythology of the world. So you're just left feeling like you've had a starter, but you're waiting for the story to kick in when this film finishes. And presumably that would have played out in films two and three, but we're clearly never going to get those. So at this point, you just get the tease of a story without an actual story. And I think the other issue is this is a little bit why Dystopia 101. Like, like the books are supposed to be amazing and I really, yeah, really want are. to read them. This, this actually really made me want to spend more time in this world and more time with these characters, so I now want to read the books. But I just think a lot of the originality in that probably doesn't really manifest itself on the screen. It ends up feeling a little bit generic, you know, aside from the noise. But like I say, I enjoyed it. I found it compelling enough. I really liked their relationship. Um, and, you know, look, these two guys are both, I think, charismatic enough to make a fucking to narrate a nat west advert and make it watchable so uh yeah you know uh, it's good it's good it's not the clusterfuck you might expect is what i'm saying yeah that that's basically how i'd feel about it as well it is much simplified and and sort of flattened from the book mm. which has a really spiky sense of morality which gets more developed in the in the second two in the further two books of the of the trilogy the, the books I cannot recommend enough. They are absolutely fucking fantastic. Mm. Incredibly tough reading at times, but really, really great. Um, but yeah, I think they did the noise really well. I think the casting was incredibly likable, but it is basically a you know run through the woods to get to X yeah. kind of a story. And and we do lose a lot from that. So As you said, the good, aliens are great. completely extraneous to the story. I, like genuinely, I wouldn't even have mentioned them in a summary. Like they're they're completely oh. unimportant. How's the Hewitt? Good, good Hewitt? Oh, of course he's. I mean, he's a Tom Holland, so you know. Yeah, he's much yeah, he is. Than he's he's my favorite Hewitt mm, for sure. Definitely. I'm surprised though that they did cast the director of Fright Night to play a Hewitt. He, <laughs> it, he feels no, much no, more no, like no. they could have cast Holland, it. Tom Holland, the the historian, the guy who fixed James's roof, That's the guy the who one. fixed James, the footballer. You know. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> what do we give this? Well, we Empire gave it two. Two. Uh, I personally it would go three. Yeah. yeah All I'd right. Okay. We're being very rebellious this week. We're yeah. giving everything you know, one star more than they got, which is impossible to do with Palm Springs, folks. Spoiler alert. Hey. This movie got five stars, so we're going to give it six. Six stars <laughs> there for Palm Springs. Tell us about this movie, Helen or James, I care not which. I adore this movie. So um, Niles, who is not Fraser's brother Niles. in this case, he's played by Andy Samberg, is stuck in a time loop. He's at a wedding and he's reliving the same day over and over and over again. But a fellow guest at the wedding, played by Kristen Miliotti, uh, who plays Sarah, also gets trapped in the same loop. So it's kind what? of a Groundhog Day thing, but playing out as this tentative kind of rom-com. But it's also a bit more twisted and clever and weird than that in a way that I find completely and utterly delightful. I, I genuinely adore this film and plan on re-watching it essentially daily from now to eternity. But, you know, he's... <laughs> What, like the Deborah Carr, Burt Lancaster thing, you're going to watch it whilst I mean, rolling in the surf? Whilst rolling in the sand, for sure. I mean, sand yeah. would feel more, you know, on brand for Palm Springs than surf. But mm. yeah, it's it's just great because, you know, you don't quite know what's going on at first. We joined the story kind of halfway through. You know, Niles is already stuck in the time loop and it takes us, the audience, a little bit of a a while to realize that so yes. Sarah I mean, then becomes kind of our way in they'll now know because we just said that forget we said I've, that I've, forget, I've yeah. spoiled everything yeah yeah yeah. but yeah uh, I love this movie I thought this movie was absolutely terrific um, I'm a sucker for time loop movies I mm-hmm. think I'm, I'm realizing that now yeah the map of tiny perfect things we've had we've spoiled for choices yeah here. right yeah. and I mean the supernatural episode mystery spot you'd love it I mean it. The, the best of them all genuinely great anyway genuinely great even I laughed at this. 
And <laughs> really? I, yeah, wow. I, I was not expecting a lot. And yeah, I thought it was delightful and really funny. I thought they were both fantastic in it. And like I said, it's like Groundhog Day, but with teeth. Like it's got real bite mm. to it. Yeah. Uh, and mm. there's a real sense of well, so does Groundhog Day. In to fairness, it. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm not besmirching Groundhog Day, which is genius. And I really enjoy the map of tiny perfect things, even if it is a little mm. bit super, superficial. But this this went to some pretty dark places. J.K. Mm. Simmons' character in particular in this is uh, yeah. is it has an interesting turn. Uh, yeah, I, I I loved it. I thought it was great. Would I have gone mm. five stars? I don't know. I've maybe been more in the four camp, but I do think it's great. The only danger of giving this film five stars is that people go in expecting some kind of treatise on, you know, everything. Which it and isn't. it kind of is. It kind of is at times. It, if you, it does yeah, try, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it does. But, yeah. um, but I, I, you know, sometimes five stars raises people's expectations yeah. too much. And this is a delicate little yeah. film that doesn't have great, you know, pretensions to tell an epic saga across 14 yeah. hours. But it's but it's so good at what it does. Andy Samberg is the most likable comedian on earth right now. Okay, maybe John Mulaney. Okay, but look, I'll, I'll have them in a like off if that's <laughs> what it takes. But I just Brooklyn Nine Nine is a work of genius. He is just one of the best guys. Like their pop star was lovely. This is head and shoulders above any of his film work to date. Even uh, Hot Rod, Chris. Uh, that's incorrect, Even Ellen. Hot Rod. You know it's incorrect, but I'm going to let it stand because I love this movie so much. And uh, yes, I realise that giving five, something five stars or six stars as we have in this case mm. can sometimes create unrealistic expectations. So can saying something like this film is going to be your new favourite film and it's going to change the way you think uh, about everything. It's going to it's going to revamp your political thoughts, uh, make you so much better at sex than you were before and smell nicer. But all those things are true of Palm Springs, which is a wonderful, wonderful film. It is unconventional. It is unpredictable. It is Groundhog Day's funnier, funkier, fresher, hipper, younger cousin. Steady. And I absolutely, I, I love it. I cannot wait for the, the hit West End musical that will then open on Broadway and then close very, very soon thereafter in about 10 years time. It's Hashtag just never forget. Never forget. Groundhog Day the Musical, folks, check it out. It will change your life, make you better politically, make you better at sex and smell better as well. It's such a great musical. This is a wonderful, wonderful film. I think it's been unfairly overlooked in the Oscar race, I'll be honest with you. I think Krista Milioti should have been in Best Actress consideration because her character has to do loads of heavy lifting in this. It is directed by Max Barbikov and written by Andy Ciara, who are basically fresh out of film school. And I cannot wait to see pretty much everything they do together after this because it's so far my film of the year. Mm. Um, and in a week containing Sound of Metal, that is pretty damn high praise indeed. Yeah. Uh, f- anywhere between five to an infinity stars then <laughs> for Palm Springs. Uh, it is absolutely belting. Belting, folks. Um, next week, I know that this week we saw a couple of movies hit on Netflix, including Thunder Force, Run, and Concrete Cowboys. We will be discussing those in next week's show because that is it, folks. Because of James's hard out, that is it for the this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We will be joined by... Holy shit. It's Oni Mahoney from Police Academy. <gasps> Steve Gutenberg. Steve Ruddy Gutenberg will be on the Empire podcast and just maybe, just maybe, his dog Gracie too. You never know. But anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Squadcast name, Lord of the Palm Springs, Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. It is goodbye from Sound of Dyer. Goodbye. James Dyer. Oh, yes. It's goodbye from me. Chaos Podding. I'm off to hug 
the biggest monster of them all. Perhaps it will persuade him to mend his ways. I'm talking, of course, about James Dyer. (laughs) You're not allowed. (laughs) Yeah, stay away from me. Social distancing. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It is his fault. It's not. It is his fault. It's totally his fault. fault, Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. It's not your fault.